last week we was a special Sunday for for our church in that we celebrated our two-year birth anniversary, as the youth have announced whatever a birth anniversary is, but it's a combination of anniversary and birthday. Most of you guys are here, and if you weren't here and you, you missed that Sunday, um, I, I would encourage you, we, have a, we made a video that we, we tried to kind of highlight a little bit of two years, and it's, kinda, it's hard to highlight two years in one song. And so we have, I don't know how many videos, how many pictures there are, but it's one of those deals where you can't really blink because if you blink, you miss two pictures. This week, I, I talked with somebody who, who was asking, wanted to get an idea what our church was like, and, and I encouraged them to go to our Facebook page because that kind of really paints the picture of the family. One of the things that I'm, I am so grateful for and impressed by, and I, I tell you guys this, I believe and granted, I'm biased, okay? So let's just let that be known. I believe that we have the greatest youth in all of Tallahassee. I do. I, I believe that. And, uh, and last Sunday, we, at the end of the service, throughout the service, we tried to have a few different groups come and, and share some testimony. And so we had the Caldwells came and spoke, the Nielsens came and spoke. And the last group we had was what we, we have a group of youth leadership that we call the crew. And there are, we have four teenagers, four high schoolers that kind of head up that group. And they all came up here and they were just, they, were, they did it awesome. They did a great job. So for some of them, having to talk in front of people is, it's hard. I mean, honestly, it was, it was, I could see them trembling almost the entire service. For some, like Zach Warren, he, whatever, he can get up there and talk forever and not even know what he's talking about, right? But enjoy every minute of it. But I, you know, and so they, they did, they did all, they, they painted, I think, the perfect picture of, and who Redemption Hill is. But, you know, I just, um, you know, Caroline impresses me so much. And, and here Caroline has a beautiful voice and she's up here almost every week helping us with worship. And um, her heart, when she spoke last week, you know, through the tears, it was, it was amazing. But, but, but just hearing her and it was, I think the first Sunday I was a part of, where somebody cried more than I did. And that's a welcome. So, Caroline, thank you. Thank you for that. I almost went home and watched Little House in the Prairie to get myself back into the groove of crying. But, but anyways, if you missed last Sunday, I would encourage you to go back to the Facebook page if you haven't already and watch that little video. It's, 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 um, I think it, it paints a great picture of our church and who we are. And, um, so if you have your Bibles, open them up to Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. We are going verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through this amazing book of Acts. And as I tried to forewarn you, week one, we're going to be in the book of Acts for a while. Okay, I think this is like week six of Acts, and we're still in chapter three. All right, so be prepared. We're going to be here for a bit, but I promise you, it won't be my words that will transform your life. It won't be my thoughts or my interjections. It's not going to be a creative story or illustration, but I believe that God's Word, I believe this book of the Bible, if we read it and we apply it, I believe this is life-changing as it is all of Scripture. 
But we're going to read this, and, and let, me, let me just try and re- remind us, it catches up to what has happened already in Acts chapter 3. So Acts chapter 3 begins with Peter and John, and they're going to the temple, and, and they had this, the Jews had this practice, it was, a, it was part of their heritage, part of their tradition, that they would go to the temple three times a day to, prayer, to pray, for an hour of prayer, so morning, noon, and night. And so Peter and John, you know, they're they're doing their normal routine. They're walking. They're going to the temple. And on the way there, they go through this area, this gate, this outer gate of the temple. It was called the beautiful gate. Now, it was was truly what the name said, beautiful. It was the the historians tell us that that this gate was plated with Corinthian bronze. It was was probably one of the most expensive areas in the outer courtyard of, of the temple. And so you have this grand, huge beautiful gate. And here we have this one man, this beggar, a lame man, never walked, nothing. I mean, he had friends, good friends that would get up early in the morning and they would take him to this spot. And this was, this was the cream of the crop spot. This is the best place he could go if you were begging for money. Because all these people that are going to pass by, they're going to the gate to worship. And a good Jew, as he was going to worship, would would be willing to give something. And so he has the good spot. And that's the only reason he gets that good spot is he's got good friends that are taking him there early. So he's, he's leaning up against this beautiful gate. And here comes Peter and John. And, and they're walking up, getting ready for the temple. And this lame man sees them. And he begins to beg. Probably close to what we see today, right? Most of us, as we're driving, maybe near the interstate, going into shopping center, you see that person with the cardboard sign? You know, we'll work for food. And this, this beggar probably had a similar thing. Like he had his, his spiel. Like as you walked up, he had it all rehearsed, planned. He, he, he said it, and he's begging for money. And as Peter and John are walking up, he sees them, and he probably thinks this is a good group to get. And they, he, he turns them, and he, he asks for the money. He asks for alms, as, as we read last week. And so Peter and John walk up to him, and I love this. The Bible tells us that, that Peter and John looked intently into the eyes of this beggar. And not only that, but they asked him to look back at him, but look back at them. And what we said last week was, was as we reach out, as we embrace the community, as we embrace those who are lost, those who are hurting in our neighborhood, in our world, it requires deep contact, not just the stroke of a check. And while we can use finances to do things, but, but we miss out on this opportunity, this amazing opportunity to get our own hands dirty, to, to see life change, to to, to see the feel and feel the blessing of God using us. And so Peter and John, he, he tells them, look intently. And, and I, I'm almost certain that as this guy's looking intently at him, he's thinking, I wonder how much money they're going to give me. And then Peter says to him, gold and silver, I have none. And it probably was like a gasp, like a popping of a balloon, like a waste of my time. Maybe this lame man, maybe this beggar just thought, wow, all these guys are doing is they're mocking me. They're making fun of me. I mean, these, these guys, what audacity. They're supposed to be these good Jews that are going to the temple to worship God. And on their way there, they're going to make fun of me? I mean, they're going to ask me to look deeply in their eyes only for him to say, sorry, I don't have anything. What kind of games are we playing? But then Peter says, but I have something way better, way better better. And he goes, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up, get up. 
And in the boldness that probably only Peter had, he reaches down, grabs him by the hand, lifts him up, and this lame man walks for the first time in his life. First time ever. I mean, could you, I don't know if you guys, we, we talked about this, this song, that This Is Amazing Grace. We, we sang Revelation song. We sang The Great I Am. All these songs. But sometimes in our own lives, if you're like me, and most of you are probably way better than me, but I take so much for granted. Like I can even begin to read stories in the Bible and, and there's stories that I've read almost my whole life. I've, I've heard of them since I was a little kid in, in children's church or nursery or whatever. And we don't stop to think of how amazing this must have been. Like this man had never walked his entire life. Like his legs, his muscles had been all twisted up. And suddenly, as Peter reaches down and lifts him up, he's whole. He's per- in perfect health. And he starts walking. Like, amazing. And, and I'm sure his, his first step was awkward. I mean, he, he didn't have the luxuries of being a 12-month-old that went from crawling to walking and wobbling and bumping into things and going. But this, this, this man just walks his first as an adult. And sure, the first one was probably ginger, and then the next one a little bit more, and then next thing you know, he's jumping, and he's leaping, and he's giving God all the praise. And and that's kind of where we left. And so this morning, we're going to pick up in Acts chapter 3. And I'm going to, I think last week I ended with verse 11. I'm going to start there again today. So Acts chapter 3, verse 11, I'm going to read through the end of the chapter. Then we're going to pray, and we're going to dig into this, all right? So here we go. Acts chapter 3, verse 11. It says, while he clung, this is he is the lame man, to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety that we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, and the God of our fathers glorified his servant, Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate. And when he had decided to release him, but you denied the holy and the righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, was made this man strong, or has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. Verse 17. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did or as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that this Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that he may may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. Verse 21, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. 
Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that, ver- that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days, you are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with his fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first, to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Let's pray. Lord, I pray this morning that you allow these words of Scripture to take root in us. Lord, that you allow us in the next few moments to stop and to consider Lord, help us to to think in the context of what's going on here, that this this lame man who had never walked begins to to leap, to jump. He's completely, perfectly healed. And then as a crowd begins to wander around to see what's going on, Peter stops and proclaims your glory. But right now, I'm sure that there are some here that can feel like that lame man felt. They might find themselves in a very difficult situation. They might find themselves in a hard season of life. They may be battling confusion. They may be battling depression. They may be battling insignificance, whatever it is. But they, they can completely understand what that lame man felt like, being cast out, being the outcast. So God, this morning, I pray that you, like Peter, you reach down and grab their hand and lift them up. Use your word to penetrate. God, we ask for life change today. We beg for life change. God, I ask the Holy Spirit today works in a way that he's not worked before. Lord, I pray that you allow me to be faithful, completely faithful to your words. Give me your heart. Give me your passion. May everything that we do, everything that we say, Bring honor and glory to you. It's in your son's beautiful and precious and holy name that we pray. Amen. So Peter, last week as I, we, we talked, he, the story ends with him and this lame man running around, jumping up and down, going into the temple. And the people in the temple see this and they, they hear this, this man praising God. Now we, if you were here from the beginning at at Redemption Hill, we began our first book of the Bible that we went through was the Gospel of John. And we went through that verse by verse like we're going through Acts. And if you guys remember, as we went through that book, time after time, we constantly see Peter falling, don't we? Like Peter is the guy that most of us can relate with. He's the guy who, who doesn't think before he speaks. He always says the wrong thing. Right? He's always getting himself in trouble. And so in this circumstance, in, in this situation, it's almost set. The table is set for Peter to do something stupid again. Like the old Peter, the Peter before the resurrection of Christ, the Peter before this permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit would have done something probably pretty dumb. 
There's all sorts of temptation as, as these crowds begin to flock around him, as, as they see this man being healed. More than likely, the spotlight goes from that man to the one who they thought healed him, Peter. You know, and if Peter wasn't careful, he could have begun to take these accolades. He could have begun to set the stage to, to be this famous individual that people would begin to flock to looking for all this healing, all these words, all this whatever. And this is one of the first instances, I believe, where we can really tell there's this dramatic change in the life of Peter. A, a, a change that can, I believe can only be attributed to this indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Because rather than take all the praise, Peter begins this, this message, this second sermon of his, by quickly turning all the attention to Jesus. He goes back and he says, Lies, this is, I did not do that. You're coming here to celebrate me and John. It was nothing that we did. None of that power fell on our fingertips. Rather, it's all Jesus. We see that in verse 12 when he says, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Why, why do you stare at us as though by our own power we have made him walk? Now remember, this is all taking place in the courtyard of the temple. Solomon's porch. Those who were there were, were religious people. They were Jews. They knew the Bible. One of the things that we see time and time and time again with Peter, when he begins to preach, when he begins to, to talk to these people, he is always referencing things that these Jews ought to know. And I love how he doesn't just say Jesus. I mean, look, at, he, he makes this a point. Verse 13 says, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, all these pillars, all these Hall of Fame individuals that these Jews knew about, that read about, that had all these stories. He's saying, listen, that the God of these men, the God of our great heritage. And then he connects that God to Jesus. He does something very similar in this sermon as he did in the last sermon in verse 13 and 14, 15, where as he connects the dot, or as he connects Jesus to the God of the Old Testament, he reminds those people in the crowds that they were the ones who had Jesus arrested. I mean, he's here even more so than in the previous sermon of his. He says, listen, you guys, you guys were the ones who had him arrested. And in fact, Pilate he was ready to release him. He was trying to find a way out for Jesus, but you wouldn't let it go. You were adamant that you wanted Jesus to die. So adamant that in, in this attempt of Pilate to, to have him released, he offers up this murderer, Barabbas. And he says, listen, you can choose this guy, a known criminal who's done horrible things. You can free him or you can free Jesus, the same guy that was being worshipped earlier in the triumphal entry, the same guy that they were waving palm leaves to, the same guy that they were shouting Hosanna to, the one that they couldn't find a single thing wrong with other than he was making claims to be the Son of God. What's your choice? The murderer or the Son of God? And they chose the Son of God. So Peter makes this connection. He says, listen, guys, it's nothing that I did. 
this healing. I had nothing to do with it. It's all about Jesus, this God of our forefathers, the one that you had arrested, the one that that Pilate tried to release, but you wouldn't allow him, the one that you ultimately chose a murderer over. I love in this description how he's called the author of life. Verse 15, and you killed the author of life. Think about that. The one who created life, you took life from. But in this description, you know, Paul or Peter is very clear. As he paints this bad picture of them having Jesus killed, he also goes and says, but listen, the same one you had killed was brought back to life. See, one of the things that we constantly see these early church leaders professing as they were preaching, we see it by the disciples, the apostles, we even see it in the first century church, that they would oftentimes focus in on this horrible crucifixion and how bad and how nasty the cross was. But they would follow that up with the resurrection, the power of the resurrection. And the reality is, without the resurrection, the cross means nothing. If Jesus doesn't conquer death, he just stays in the tomb. And I, I think today, so often, we kind of designate Easter as the resurrection day. And the rest of the year, we forget about it. We, we seldom talk about it. The resurrection of Christ and the power that is there in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so Peter says, listen, you guys had this guy murdered, but he didn't stay dead. God brought him back to life. Verse 16, it says, in his name and by faith in his name has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And listen, I would underline this part towards the end of verse 16, it says, and the faith that is through Jesus has given this man his perfect health. We often refer to salvation as a gift, a verse that many of you are certainly familiar with. And and, and if you grew up in church, probably memorized at a young age is Ephesians 2, 8, 9. It says, for by grace you are saved through faith, which is a gift of God. See, sometimes we forget, as we think about the gift, we're thinking about the salvation. The salvation is a gift, yes, but the faith is also a gift. So often, at least in my own spiritual journey, I am continually trying to think of ways, search for ways to make me better. I mean, I'll read scripture. I'll try and find Bible passages that will make Chad better. And the reality is this. Even when it comes to faith, I think, what are some ways in which I can make my faith stronger? And we're looking at it backwards. Because faith is a gift from who? From God. And and the faith to get through these trials and these circumstances, it's a gift from God. We need to stop trying to manipulate God. And so Peter's very plain to tell this guy as he's explaining the situation. He says, guys, listen, you're looking at me and wondering. You're ready to applaud me and think I did all this stuff, but it's not me. It's, it's Jesus. It's Jesus who did this. It's, it's the, the man having the faith in Jesus 
that brought about the healing. And then Peter takes this amazing opportunity. After deflecting all the attention off of him and ensuring the crowd knew that it was not what he did, but what Jesus did, he breaks into a little sermon. And we see that sermon, verses 17 through 26. And listen to these words. It says right here, he goes, verse 17 says, And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your rulers. And so moments earlier, as he's describing what happened, he's saying, listen, yes, you guys did kill Jesus. You did these things, but, but here's the deal. I know you did it in ignorance. I mean, even the Roman rulers, they did it in ignorance. Now, now Peter's not telling them, is not excusing what they've, they've done. He's not patting them on the back and saying, it's all right. You. But he begins to open this door. And one of the things I think we can see in this, even in our own faith walk as a church, okay, as we think of Redemption Hill Church, we, we've looked at our core values, and I, and I would encourage you to get one of these bulletins. Um, on the very back, it has our core values there. Guys, I hope, I hope, I hope we all grab these core values. But, but one of our core values is that we're committed to the uncommitted. Meaning this, we're committed to those who don't know Christ. And sometimes if we're not careful, if I'm not careful, I can jump on the soapbox. I can get judgmental really quick. I can do a really good job at highlighting people's faults. But notice the heart of Peter here. Even though these people were guilty, he's not letting them off the hook. But in a loving manner, he, he begins to open that door for them to see truly what Jesus did for them. He, he turns to them and says, like, even though you, you guys did this, I understand you did this in ignorance as the rulers. It says, verse 18, but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. So all this stuff that you did by ignorance, it was preordained. Like God had sent Christ and the purpose of Christ leaving heaven and coming to earth was going to be this perfect sacrifice. He was going to do something for you that you guys couldn't do for yourselves. Verse 19. Again, I would encourage you to underline verse 19. Verse 19 is the heart of this message. We could say the heart of the gospel. It says, Peter says, Repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. Repent. 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 This idea of repentance. It's this old kind of church word. Unfortunately, it's a word that we don't use very often anymore. And I'm sorry to say that. We have had this way in which we have gotten rid of the idea of repentance and we've replaced it with this idea of, I'm sorry. For those who have kids, I've got four of them. And one of the phrases that I've grown to not like very much is, I'm sorry. 
Because what happens is when one of my kids does something wrong, they feel like they can come to me and say, Daddy, I'm sorry. And everything will be okay. Now, you guys know that I'm strong and hard and I'm not a pushover. And so you know that it doesn't work with me. But here's the deal. Like, so often what happens with that is, is, is typically, on most occasions, those words, I'm sorry, what they're really saying is, I just don't want to get in trouble. And we do the same thing in our own faith journey, don't we? Like, we mess up and it's just a quick, I'm sorry, and we go back to, to everything as normal. And so, as we read Acts, as we see this, as, as this is the second time Peter's preached, this is the second time he's saying, he goes, repent. And this idea of repentance is to turn away. And we talked about this the last time. Repentance means you're walking this way. You're walking in a bad way. You're walking towards sin. You're embracing whatever it is. You're walking away from God. Repentance makes you to turn around and you walk towards God. Becoming a Christian is not turning over a new leaf. 2 Corinthians, I believe it's 5.17, tells us that when we accept Christ, we become a new creation. And see, when we truly repent, and I'm sorry, I'm sorry I messed up, but when we truly say, I have sinned, and I am turning from my sin, and we walk in a new way, our, mind change, our mindset changes. Um, one, one of my favorite books is um, a book called The Cost of Discipleship. Okay, and this, this book is fairly old and is written by a man by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. If, if you're ever interested in reading a biography about an amazing man, I would encourage you to read about Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer grew up in Germany. He was born in the early 1900s. Dietrich Bonhoeffer had all sorts of opportunity. He was born to a, a very well-off family. His dad was a psychiatrist, um, very well-known, famous. They had lots of money. But those of us who know history, we know that World War I did not go very well for the Germans. Uh, the result of that really pushed them into this economic, full economic collapse. I think I, I read at the start of World War I, their marks were the equivalent, 13 marks was the equivalent of $1. Leading up into World War II, $1 equated to about 6 billion marks. Dietrich Bonhoeffer um, grew up with this strong faith, a, a faith that took him to different places. He, he studied some in Rome. He had the opportunity to come over to the United States. He could have avoided everything in Germany. He could have avoided Hitler. He could have avoided all of that. But while he was in Brooklyn, his heart was in Germany. And he realized that there was no one there to stand. And if no one was, was there to stand, then it would collapse. So he goes back over to Germany. Ultimately, he's thrown in a concentration camp to which he dies. And so sometimes when we read books and we think, well, that sounds neat. That sounds good. But not knowing the man and the heart behind it. Listen to what Dietrich Bonhoeffer said about grace. First, he says this, cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Folks, we can talk about God's love. Absolutely. God, it, we see God's love on every single page of the Bible. 
And, and repentance is not our works towards salvation. But you see, a cheap grace is kind of like the I'm sorry's. But listen to what he says here. He says, costly grace is the treasure hidden in the field for the sake of a man. For the sake of it, a man will gladly go and sell all that he has. It's the pearl of a great price to buy which the merchant will sell at all his goods. It's the kingly rule of Christ whose sake a man will pluck out the eye which causes him to stumble. It's the call of Jesus Christ that which the disciples leave his nets and follow him. See, costly grace is the gospel which must be sought again and again and a gift which must be asked for and the door at which a man must knock. Such grace is costly because it calls us to follow and it is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It is costly because it costs a man his life and it is grace because it gives a man the only true life. It's costly because it condemns sin and grace because it justifies the sinner. Above all, it is costly because it costs God the life of his son. Repent, verse 19, repent therefore and turn back. This faith journey that we're on comes at a great expense, a great cost. But what's awesome here is this idea that says that when we truly repent and we turn back, we turn from our sins. Here, Peter uses the example. He says that your sins may be blotted out. Back in this time, the, the people, when they would write, they would write on papyrus. And, and they would take this ink. You know, it's different than the ink we have today. It didn't have any acid in it. So, so when we would write something today, it, it has a bite to the paper. But back then, this, this ink would just dry. But, but very easily, you could take something damp and wipe it clear off to where it couldn't be seen at all. And what Peter says is that when you truly repent, when you turn, you quit following the world, but you turn and you follow Christ, when you truly do it, then Jesus, he blots out all your sin. He removes it. It can't be found. It can't be seen. It's gone. Verse 20 says, and that times of refreshing may come from your sins, or may, may come from the presence of the Lord, that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. That phrase there the times of refreshing. Peter is, is, is actually quoting from the Old Testament, Deuteronomy uh, chapter 30, Joel chapter 2, and Zechariah chapter 12. And in the context of those passages, they're talking about these prophecies of Jesus' second coming, of Jesus' return. And what Peter's saying here is, as you turn, as you, as you repent, we have to look forward to this second coming of Christ. This leads into this next passage but here's what's exciting for us today. That we have the opportunity of enjoying these times of refreshing. These times of refreshing for us is, is when we truly repent, when we truly ask for forgiveness of our sins, when we spend that time alone with God, when we, when we get into his word, when we sing those songs of worship, 
Most of us can think of those times when, when, when we felt empty and then finally in those quiet times, alone with God, we left feeling like we had a full tank once again. And that's what Peter is talking about, this, this full tank of a faith journey in our own spiritual walk. And quickly, I do want us to, to point something out as he concludes this message. I, I, something that I believe is, is pretty relative to today. Verse 21 says, Whom heaven must receive until the time of restoring all the things about which, about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. And he'll go on and he'll quote Moses. He'll talk about Samuel and all the prophets. He even talks about about Abraham. But today, that last part of this passage has been twisted and turned by some. When it talks about this time of restoring, there's this this belief, this mentality is being taught that that at the end of the day, God will restore everything. There's a, a man who wrote a book a few years back called Love Wins, in which he states at the end, listen, God's love is so strong that he won't send anybody to hell. Like he loves people too much that all will go to heaven. There's this, this belief in which some will say that, that it comes to the point where, where Jesus holds out until Satan himself finally realizes what he's done and who Jesus is, that he kneels and he bows and he asks for forgiveness and then everything is restored. It's one big, happy family. And folks, that's false. That's taking scripture out of context. That's twisting things to make it feel like what you want to feel. That's twisting the scriptures to make it feel like it's rainbows, rose petals, and gumdrops. And that's not the case. What's being said here, this idea of restoring is this idea of restoring Israel, the nation. That's why he refers back to these old prophets and leaders of Israel. So here's, here's the deal. So if you, if you want to turn back into Matthew, Matthew 25. Matthew's the first book of the New Testament. Matthew 25, verse 41. Then he will say to those, who, those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. You see that word Eternal. The Greek word for eternal used there in Matthew 25, verse 41, is Ananias. It's the same word that we see in John chapter 3, verse 16, where it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. This is what's important about it. When, when we consider this passage and, and how some are twisting acts to say, well, listen, at the end of the day, we're all going to come together. So if we go back into Matthew and we see um, that it says there that those who have turned from him will be cast into this fiery pit for eternity. Now, if they say, well, that's only for a season, that's only for a time for them to be purged of their wrongdoing. Some faith call that purgatory. If, if that eternity right there is only for a season, then folks, 
the eternal life of John 3.16 is only for a season. See, it doesn't jive. And as Peter goes through this story, as he's begging them to repent, to turn from their ways, to, to turn to Christ, have their sins blotted out, as he tells them that as they do that, when they do that, he's, they're going to be restored like Israel, like they were told in the Old Testament. But he ends with this warning. 23 says, And it shall be that everyone who does not listen to that prophet, that prophet being Jesus, that Moses prophesied about, the one who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus made that bold, true statement. There's only one way. There's no generic God. There's one. Peter comes back to that same thing, and he says to these people, listen, yes, you've done wrong. Yes, you had him killed, the author of life you had killed, but the grave could not contain him. You did all these things wrong, but, but, we see but throughout Scripture all the time. He says, but listen, despite all that, if you repent and you turn to him, your sins will be blotted out, and you'll enjoy eternity with him. But if you reject it, it's that same eternity that we read about in Matthew 25. As we close... As I was considering this message this week, and how do we bring this home? How do, how, how do we make this applicable to us today? If you've been here long enough, you realize that I don't typically have three points. There's no alliteration. There's nothing matches. But I think the first thing is this. Like we read about from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, are we living a cheap grace? Is it just, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry? Is it just one of those deals where we just kind of say, I'm sorry when we get caught? Or will he grab the hold of costly grace? Have we, come, have we stopped to consider once again the expense of the opportunity that we have to accept Christ as our Savior? Have we forgotten what the cross means? Have we forgotten the sacrifice of the cross? See, a quick I'm sorry doesn't do justice to what Christ did for us. Have we in our own lives truly repented of our sins and turned to Christ? That's the first thing. And the second is if we fully understand that and we've gotten our own lives in order, if you will, what about those around us? Are we taking the time like Peter and John did to look intently? Have we allowed our busy schedules to consume us so much that we're just sprinting through life trying to get through? And we walk by people every single day that do not know Christ, that don't know anything about his love and his grace, and that are dying and going to hell. 
mean, have we stopped to consider that? Are we allowing that to soak into us? And if we are, what are we going to do about it? What are we going to do? Our mission statement is that we exist to glorify God through seeing souls saved and lives changed. That's why I believe God called me to be the planet church. We live in a community that's dying and going to hell with every fiber in my body, every breath that I have. I hope, I pray that God allows us, allows me to stand in the gap and say, no, it is not acceptable. We are going to do something about this. We're going to tell people about this love and this grace that our Savior, that God sent his one and only Son to die for. It cost a ton. And shame on me for not telling more. Let's pray. Lord, this morning, God, um, I don't know how you may work. I don't know um, what struggles there may be in this room. God, why, while I... Um, maybe a little rattled today. I pray that we understand that it's not me yelling at anybody but me. And so often I forget. I get so consumed with my day-to-day things that I forget to take the time to see all the hurt, to see those who are searching for something. God, we have all the answers. It's all you. So, Lord, I pray as we continue in this worship, for those who may have never accepted you as their Savior, I pray that you're pounding on their hearts right now, that you're calling them. I pray that you give them the strength to listen, the courage to repent, to truly follow you. And for those of us who are already saved, who have already repented, I pray that you set this fire in our soul to reach those who don't know you and tell them the greatest love story ever written. So Holy Spirit, work as only you can. In your son's name we pray. Amen.